0: One AM on Radio Free Brooklyn.
1: Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, R. Nathan. And um, with us today is Marlene S. Barr, who's known for her pioneering work in feminist science fiction and teaches English at the Sydney University of New York. She's won the Science Fiction Research Association Pilgrim Award for Lifetime Achievement in Science Fiction Criticism. Barr is the author of Alien to Feminity, Speculative Fiction and Feminist Theory. Lost in Space, Probing Feminist Science Fiction and Beyond, and many others. Um, Barr has edited many anthologies and co-edited the science fiction issue of PMLA. She's published the novels Oi Pioneer and Oi Feminist Planets, a fake memoir. Her, uh, her book, uh, When uh, Trump Changed the Feminist Science uh, Fiction Justice League, Quashes the Orange Outrage, Push Secret is the first single-author Trump short story collection. Welcome, Marlene. Oh, wait, let me get the... the
2: Feminist Science Fiction Justice League Quashes the Orange Outrage Pussy Grabber is a really long title. You almost didn't get through it, but I'm used yeah. to
1: it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sorry, I just put you on, uh, on the line. Um, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So great. Welcome. Welcome. So thank you. Um, so now why don't we start off with your book and uh, tell us a little bit more about that and give, give the audience a little bit of a sense of uh, when it was written how, and what was the process.
2: I wrote it, I wrote what, When Trump Changed. It was published in 2018. And I just, Trump was elected, and it made me very upset. And I have a comedic voice, and I didn't know what to do. And I decided to speak truth to power in terms of Jewish literature, because when Jews get in trouble and they write, they they become funny. And I'm not Mel Brooks and and Trump is not Hitler, but I decided to use my little comedic talent to try to use exaggeration to show that what Trump is doing is not normal. So if he did something that was beyond the pale, I just use science fiction to make it worse
1: yeah and, and it, these are a collection of short stories, right So you have different okay. tell us a little bit about yes. some of the short stories, some of the themes of the of the collection it's, yeah
2: it's but, a collection of short stories and i 'm going to read one that is called "Swan Song for Trump," and in it I imagine that well, I have a protagonist in all of my fiction, and her name is professor Sandra lear and she 's a feminist science fiction scholar, and she teaches English at the City University of New York mm-hmm. because i 'm really a critic, and I came to science i came to science fiction writing late, so i don 't make up any i don 't make up anything. And Sandra, unlike me, she never ages, and I can make her do whatever she wants. So so, Professor Sandra Lear runs around using her feminist science fiction expertise to try to thwart Trump, and in Swan Song for Trump, I have these trumpeter swans that go and attack him, and and Professor Leah rides on the trumpeter swans like dragon, dragon riders, like in Anne McCaffrey's Pern, and... Professor Lear in Swan Song for Trump has a surprise fairy godmother, but I'm not going to tell you who she is until I read the story.
1: Okay. Uh, and before we get to that, um so what, what what are the range of the stories? Like, what, what, tell us a few more. Just give a sense of the range. So basically, it's like, you know, short stories. How long are each short story? The, the short
2: stories are short, each one is about two pages.
1: Okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah. So, uh... and there are about
2: there are about twenty of them in the book. I'm looking at the table of contents. Good. Like some titles are, "I am Trump, the Great and Powerful." Zaza Trump makes America great again. Trump makes meets pussy galore and is fit to be tied. Springtime for Trump.
1: Uh-huh.
2: The Virginia Tech duck pond endages Stephen K. Bannon's swamp thing. So you get the idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and read a little bit from, uh, read one of the stories, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. Thank okay.
2: You. I'm going to read Swan Song for Trump, and I'm not an actress, but if I do Trump's voice, all I have to do is lower my register because I come <laughs> from Forest Hills, Queens, which is walking distance from Jamaica states where he grew up, so I have the same accent as him. Yeah. But my, words, my words differ. Okay. Swan Song for Trump. Professor Sandra Lear decided that she could not, not for one more microsecond, abide Donald Trump's diatribes. I wish I could do something science fictional to silence Trump, she said aloud. She was distraught to the extent that she continued to talk to herself since the election. It's a shame that I know all of this science fiction theory but can't reify my knowledge. I wish I could send Trump to the phantom zone. I wish I could give him a one-way ticket for a voyage to Arcturus or to any planet located in a galaxy far, far away. Fantasy princesses have fairy godmothers. Oi! just because a feminist theorist really doesn't fit the usual Jewish-American princess qualifications, why can't I have a fairy godmother? I wish I had a fairy godmother. Your wish is my command, said a tra- patrician voice. Sandra's office at the State University of New York at Greenwich Village was su- suddenly smoke-filled. When the smoke cleared, Sandra saw a white-haired lady <laughs> wearing tailored clothing and pearls. Mrs. Bush? Sandra said incredulously. Why have you materialized in my office? I'm your fairy godmother. My fairy godmother? I am a fervent liberal Democrat. How can the quintessential Republican matriarch be my fairy godmother? We're now on the same side, dear. My antipathy for Trump knows no bounds. The nerve of him calling my Jeb low energy. It was Jeb's turn. Besides, since you asked for a fairy godmother, your wish has been granted. I've come to tell you how to shut Trump's mouth. I'm listening. The answer is general semantics. Even though I'm a literary critic, I don't see how words can silence Trump. People routinely play with the name Trump. They mention Trump cards and being trumped, but nobody applies Trump to animals. Donald Trump is for the birds. Trumpeter swans can count to him. Trumpeter swans? I'm still listening. Yes, Trumpeter swans. Hitchcock knew that birds have power. As a bona fide fairy godmother, I fraternize with fantastic creatures, such as fire-breathing trumpeter swans. You can summon one and ride her to a destination of your choice. Like a cross between Uber and dragon riders? Exactly. When riding astride a fire-breathing trumpeter swan, you can look Trump straight in the eye and say, you're fired. I love illocutionary force. I'm in. Mrs. Bush told Sandra that a fire-breathing trumpeter swan flock was roosting in the university parking lot. The flock leader waddled toward Sandra, squawked the greeting, lowered her neck, and extended her wing. Sandra climbed up and clung to the swan's neck. Since sitting on the back of a giant swan is quite comfortable, Sandra remained calm. Ready for takeoff, she, she recalled that Trump was scheduled to speak in Greensboro, North Carolina, later that evening. Fly to Greensboro, she said. The leader ascended as the flock lined up in formation behind her. Soon, Sandra and her avian colleagues were hovering over the Trump rally. Within minutes, the swan had the red-headed crowd cowed. She gathered them in the parking lot next to giant pickup trucks and mid-80s Cadillacs. Everyone pile up your Make America Great Again signs, ordered Sandra from her perch. When the giant fire-breathing trumpeter swan opened her beak, even the burliest racists complied. Curses were heard as the crowd relinquished their placards. The swan directed a flame at the placard- piled signs and hence burned them to smithereens. This swan must be a Hillary supporter, proclaimed Trump, who had caught a golf court and ridden to the parking lot. A crooked, lion, fire-breathing bird. Look at how huge it is. A rapist swan. An immigrant from a fairy tale. I'm going to build a wall. You can build all the walls you want, retorted Sandra. There are more such swans where this one came from. They can fly over your wall. All after swan shot and turned into barbecue, great marketing potential. Trump trumpeted swan steaks. The flock leader aimed a flame at Trump's red baseball cap. Just as his hair was about to catch fire, a Secret Service agent threw a bucket of water on his head. Regaining his composure, Trump said, The Second Amendment advocates need to do something about these swans. The entire flock squawked and drowned Trump out. They flew low over the crowd and set fire to all the Make American Great Again hats. Flummoxed and flustered by the fire-breathing flock's sound barrage, the windbag deflated into dumbfounded silence. Barbara Bush materialized. You're fired, she trumpeted to Trump in tandem with Sandra. Mrs. Bush snapped her fingers. A mirror appeared. This is a mirror-mirror on the wall, she said to Trump. Who is the most ludicrous of us all? Until you can answer, you'll spend eternity in front of this mirror, watching as we give the country a mulligan. You'll view a replay of the election in which Hillary wins, over and over again. By the way, her Inauguration Day crowd size will be bigger than yours. The end.
1: Well, thank you, thank you. Very good, very good. I really appreciated it and the humor, and very good. Um, so uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about uh, in your bio. It talks about being a feminist science scholar, science fiction scholar. Tell us a little bit about what that means to you, and and how that, and and kind of walk us through how you uh, bring that to mind in your writing.
2: Well, science fiction was seen as a male bastion. And I always loved science fiction. And I am the first English professor who went through the profession being a feminist science fiction scholar. And feminist science fiction writers write outside of the patriarchy. Because in reality, if you want to go to an all-black society, you could go to Kenya. Or if you want to go... It's not all black, but predominantly black. And if you want to go to a society where Jews control the cultural hegemony, you could go to Israel. But there's no place in reality where you can go where women control everything. So the only thing you could do is go to a feminist planet. And there are there are feminist separatist planets where there are no men. So it's a, it's a thought experiment where you... You, where you're able to see what a world ruled by women would look like.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Because,
2: you, because there's nowhere in the real world that you can go to. And it empowers women because you can see what it's like when women are in control of, of everything. And since I'm writing about Trump, we still haven't had a woman president, as everybody knows. And we live in a world where women candidates are handicapped because they say a woman can't beat Trump. Mm. Well, Elizabeth Warren is a Harvard professor, and excuse me, but she's smarter than Trump, so why can't we put her up against Trump and and think that she would win?
1: Exactly, exactly. Thank you, thank you. So what were some of the writers that influenced you over the years, and uh, and how, have they, uh, how, how they influenced you, how they had an impact on your work?
2: I think that my... F- favorite science fiction writer is Ursula K. Le Guin, who who just passed away very recently. And I'm not alone because everyone in science fiction loves Ursula Le Guin. And my favorite book by Ursula Le Guin is The Left Hand of Darkness, because it shows that gender roles are constructed fictions. When you read that book, it becomes, it causes readers to become cognitively estranged from gender role stereotypes because in that book her protagonists shift genders and they're not born into one gen- gender as we are. And this too is a thought experiment so that you could see something different so that you can change reality. You, you have to see something different in order to change, in order to change what you are. Like I spent some years as a Fulbright scholar and I went to Germany, and then I taught as a visiting professor in Austria, and I lived in Germanic countries for approximately five years, then I'll never see America in the same way, having really lived in a foreign place and not just gone to the Hilton as a tourist. So science fic- feminist science fiction enables you to do that, to go to another place and see the patriarchal world differently. And just as my writing is saying Trump is not normal, patriarchy doesn't have to be normal either.
1: Thank you, thank you. And um, what were some of the experiences you reflect on that were watershed moments in your own process? You talked a little bit about uh, your dissertation director, so tell us a little bit more about writing your dissertation and, and, and the influences that came up with that, some of the experiences that were watersheds, watersheds in your own process, yeah.
2: Well, I was lucky enough to have, I went to State University of New York at Buffalo for my Ph.D., and Buffalo was was the most avant-garde English department in the country, and I, ha- I happened to fit in there. And my dissertation director was Norman N. Holland, who pioneered reader response theory, which means that you could read a, a work of literature according to your own characteristic style. And Norm was an eminent literary scholar, and he, I was very, very lucky because he treated women wonderfully, wonderfully. And I never experienced sexual harassment at Buffalo. That that also was lucky for a woman of my generation. And Norm said to me, Write in your own voice. That that's that was my takeaway from all of my study with him. And I really loved feminist science fiction, but to do that at the time that I did was a risk because English departments thought that science fiction was was crap, and they thought that feminism was crap, and to put the two together was beyond the pale. And I was advocating all of this in the 80s, and I was absolutely right, because now people admire works like Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, and people admire Octavia Octavia Butler, and she's venerated. And when I I was a graduate student, I was in my early 20s, and I was running around Buffalo saying to eminent critics like Norman Holland and Leslie Fiedler, look at Ursula Le Guin. Ursula Le Guin is a wonderful writer. And they, they, even though I was in my twenties, they, they believed me because they were wonderful men and they were, they were open to it. But I always knew this. And now, that I'm no longer a spring chicken, I could look back on it and I could say, yes, I was absolutely right, and I'm glad that I stuck to my guns and did what I believed, but it wasn't easy, but I'm glad that I did.
1: Thank you, thank you. That's really true. I think we all have to kind of find that truth that uh, empowers us and allow it to speak for us, and we have to kind of um, kind of be a, uh, a servant of that, of that truth and kind of serve that higher vision uh, that that calls us, yeah. That's true. But
2: the women of my generation who who did male writers like James Joyce, they had a much easier career path than I did. Course, but yeah. my work, my work is there, and <clears throat> over the um, last. Last week I went to a science fiction conference at City Tech University in Brooklyn and there's a scholar there in her forties and she's the person who comes after me and we were at the we were at the conference kibitzing away and I know that I paved the work for her and people who come even after her. So I'm like the a mother of feminist science fiction and I have my work and I have the people who come after me and excuse my bluntness but the sexist men who said that my work was crap, they're no longer with us.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's really good to, as I was saying, feel empowered and to let that power speak for itself let that truth speak for itself you know, and uh, yes. speaking of essential truths um, which essential truth do you believe is undervalued in our society? You are talking a bit about the, that truth being undervalued uh, you know, being speaking plainly or or facts, maybe perhaps, the, where they mean like a a post fact age. So tell us something about that perspective. Well, yeah. the
2: work of a scholar is to find the truth. Yeah. And and I cannot believe that truth is being questioned mm. because if truth is being questioned, then we no longer have a, we no longer have a society. It, we have we have. We have George Orwell, big brother, is watching us. And to me the the thing that is being challenged the most is truth and fact. And and I cannot as as someone who's trained as a scholar, and that's who I am as as the core, I cannot abide that that truth is being questioned. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean when we can see something with our own eyes and we can just, We all have the ability to assess and, and figure out something and to contradict it and to, uh, to to make it seem like that's to make it seem like that's the truth. Uh, something that that we can see or assess with our own eyes and our own ears, uh, figure out it's not true is something that uh, is contrary to um, to the under to the uh, to reality, you know. And someone, yeah,
2: right. I don't think I. I ca- it is not right for the President of the United States to lie incessantly. Yeah. The President of the United States is someone that you look up to if if there's an emergency. Like, if, God forbid, I don't know, a, a, a war happens, you get on television and you look, you look up to the President to say, this is what we're going to do. The President has to be a respected leader. Now, I'm not the President of the United States, but I am... I'll call myself the president of my classroom. I have confessed one of the only things in life I have control over. I can make the world in there. And if I say something to a student, like, you can give me your paper next week and I'll accept it, when that student comes next week with her paper in hand, I accept her paper. I do not lie to students. I cannot imagine doing that because I'm the leader of the class and they have to trust me. Yeah. And it so... doesn't work. It doesn't work if, if the leaders lie. Very true. Or my department yeah. head, she's a very honest woman, and I trust her. And if she lied to me, I couldn't do my job. Yeah, like I... everything falls apart. We we have we have to look up to each other. We have to trust each other. And the people who are in power have to speak have to speak the truth to each other. Like I told you that I would call you at eight o'clock this morning, and yeah. you carved out this time and you trusted me. Yeah, and if I didn't call you. You would be in a, it wouldn't be good. Yeah. Nothing would work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you know. don't
2: know me and you trusted me that I would call you. Exactly. Exactly. And I would not think of lying to a radio host.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, well, uh, yeah, that's it seems true. to me, yeah, it seems to me that, um, when we think about, uh, the facts, the truth, we, we, a lot of times people will be like, you know, just by devil advocate, they'll be like, oh, you know, everyone lies, always politicians lie, but that's not, excuse so that's not a does not excuse or does not put aside the fact that the leader as you're saying uh as we're saying um leader has to show a role model has to be a role model has to be a uh, someone who pioneers towards uh truth and justice and all these kinds of values and we have to be able to uh pave a road in our society for someone who speaks the truth someone at least at least makes an attempt to speak the truth uh aims to speak the truth someone who who, uh, who goes out there and, and his word and gives his word, yeah, gives her his their word. Absolutely, because yeah. if you
2: talk about paving the road and the contractor said this asphalt will hold up, you have to trust that you'll drive your car over it, or you have to yeah. trust that the airplane pilot is not, is not drunk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Exactly, exactly. And
2: without truth, you, you have to trust that when you, every, oh, this is, a little emotional, but every person will have to put their relative in the hospital and you have to stand in there and you have to take your relative and watch the relative go through the door to the operating room and you can't go in there. And you have to sit outside hoping and trusting that the people in there will do their best for your relative. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly and, yeah. and we can't do, we can't do everything we can't do everything ourselves, and we have to trust that strangers, like the like the the anesthesi. You know the surgeon, but you don't know the anesthesiologist. And you go there, and they say, "This is your anesthesiologist." Hello. You have to trust that that person is going to take care of you.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we are, we have a basis of, of faith, a basis of um, trust, a basis of um, you know that's the foundation upon which we build. You know, the society, the societies, you know, we have to have a foundation of, like, of truth-telling and, and faith, you know?
2: I totally agree with you, and that's why I wrote When Trump Changed, because I've been living in this country for a very long time, and I, I, I I again, I've lived in other countries, and I still think that this is the best one. And I think I wrote the book out of anger, because I am angry what this one person from Queens, which means a lot to me because that's my home and that's where I'm from, yeah. is doing to the entire country. How could one person do all of this damage? And how is it that nobody could get him the hell out of there?
1: Yeah, I mean, mainly because it's not just one person. It's a whole movement that's been, uh, he's at the crest of, uh, you know, he's kind of riding the movement or riding the counter, um uh, the the movement of counter reactionary or reactionaries are people who are responding to you know the changing climate of the times and they're not able to adjust they're not able to you know uh uh be progressive with the times they're in fact, in fact uh regressive you know they're in fact uh the kind of reactionary regressive they're trying to you know even in his uh motto you know we're thinking about regressing to the to this idyllic state of the past, they believe a uh, aggressive state, you know?
2: But what I don't understand is how are these people who need help, how do they think that someone who lives in Trump Tower with a, yeah. with a golden toilet seat yeah. who's from New York is like them and is going to help yeah, them? Ha- Trump is not like them. He only cares about themselves, and they have had three years to see this. Yeah. And as a New Yorker, like we see it, but I don't see why the other people don't see it, and and they don't, they can't see past his chicanery and snake oil. This makes no sense
1: to exactly, me. Exactly, exactly. So, um, in regards to your own writing practice and your teaching and such, I understand you're also a teacher. Um, what what would you say is the uh, what do you hope listeners will receive from you? Uh, what, what do you hope when they read the story? What do you hope they'll go away with?
2: Well, since I'm teaching at CUNY, the students that I teach do not want to be English professors. Yeah. But what I'm trying to teach these students is critical thinking. And if they read a story and they could see past the, the surface structure and into the deep structure, then they could look at the deep structure of, of all the discourse that is thrown at them. And I think that you can't get along in this world without critical thinking, the the ability to think beyond the surface and, and understand the raison d'etre of, of what is being said to you. So to me, teaching critical thinking is the most important thing that I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to replicate myself and make junior English professors. And also, I'm teaching people how to write, and I believe that you cannot get along in this world unless you know how to write. It's a, it's a skill that's useful. Sometimes, like, professors want to make other professors. I don't want to do that. There are enough professors. I want to have people who, who are articulate, who can critically think, and who can write well. That's what I'm trying to do in the classroom.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And thinking about, uh, in, the, in the course of your process, um, what has been your most valuable failure thus far?
2: I was thinking about my most valuable failure, and I haven't failed a lot academically, but I had a terrible failure at the University of Michigan where I got my master's degree. And I am very bad at foreign languages, and I have to admit publicly, I failed the University of Michigan French test six times, Oh uh... even though I was very, very close to the person who administered the text because I'm very bad at foreign languages. And as I said, I got my PhD at the State University of New York at Buffalo, which does not have a language requirement. Uh And if it had a language requirement, I never would have graduated. I would still be sitting in Buffalo now trying to Uh pass the the test for my PhD. And I married a Francophone. I'm married to a French Canadian. So even though I failed the University of Michigan French test six times, Since I've been married to this man for 20 years, he speaks with a Montreal accent. And somehow, well, he doesn't really, he doesn't speak French because he wanted to leave French Canada and, and, but listening to his French accent for all of these 20 years, I don't know how, but it somehow made my French better. So now I can speak, I, if I had to go in a time machine and go, and go take the University of French MA test, I don't think I would fail it six times anymore. And I'm glad I took French as a language because it's good if you're married to someone to know what their native tongue is. And people in New York, a lot of them don't speak French. And if he's doing something like that a husband would do that I don't want him to do, I tell him in French to stop doing it. Like I'll say <laughs> in the store, Ferme votre bouche." except I speak French with a Queens Boulevard accent. <laughs> that's, that's the best I can do.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. So I think it's so true that um, you know, for me as well, like I struggle a lot with uh, learning Spanish, even though Spanish is perhaps one of the easier uh, Romance languages. But uh, you know, it's been, it's interesting how our process uh, parallel in that way. But uh, now, counting on work. All right, we talked a little bit about uh, if you ha- if you wished um, one book, song, play, or poem, everyone in the world could experience. Uh, what would it be, and why? One well, more.
2: I'm not uh, going yeah. to say some esoteric literary criticism book uh-huh. that no one is going to read anyway, yeah. but the popular culture work that I love the most is is The King and I. I love the music. It depicts a brave woman trying to make her way in the world alone. And I just love the idea that this woman worked worked as a teacher, and this is how she was going to make her... Her living and this is how she stood up on her own two feet and I think I could relate to that and I think I've seen the king and I at least, I'm um, exaggerating, but, but 50 times and I have a story in When Trump Changed where Professor Lear goes to teach the children of Trump and she tries to subvert him in that way. I, I see it in that story I, the premise is, is that he becomes, he becomes king for life and he runs around with all these bimbos like um, for Lania and Trilania and all these Anias and he has all of these children and Professor Lear comes to teach them and there's one one of his daughters who doesn't want to be like her mother and in the end she becomes she becomes the president because Professor Lear teaches her how to be a feminist. So I love the King and I so much that it showed up in When Trump changed.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about like uh, how the, uh, depiction, um, you know, is empowering and i it's been a while since so I've seen that, that, that film. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. So what about, um, now one of the themes of the show being the personal is political. What does that mean to you? And, uh, and how, how do you think that it relates to your choices?
2: The personal is political means to me that the professional and biological aspects of being female are politicized. For example, abortion. How can the government have the power to tell a woman what to do with her own body? And if they, if these people care about babies so much, they want the woman to have the baby, but then when the baby gets here, they don't do anything to help, to help the baby. Yeah. And a, woman, a, a woman's body is her own business and the government has no right to, to say anything that to say anything about how to, how to control it.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, uh, what, 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 what about, um, like, so basically you're saying that, uh, the, about abortion rights reproductive rights. And I definitely agree with that. I think that there's a kind of double talk there. There's kind of a, uh double speak. There's kind of the, uh, Duplicity that comes out of that, and and being a personal choices are being politicized in the sense that um, you know, kind of private choices are being politicized and and made into uh, something more that are made into a, a national discussion when these things are private matters between the the mother and and, and her own body, you know, and choice about her own right. body, yeah. And, yeah, and
2: and how how does a male have a right to reduce? a woman to her anatomy. Like, since I deal with words, when when Trump used the word pussy grabber, I couldn't get over the President of the United States using the word pussy grabber. That's why why I put it in the title, and when he first did it, I said the word pussy in the classroom, and the students, their mouths were open. I would never say the word pussy in a classroom. And I said to the students, if the president of the United States can say it, well, I'm saying it too, but I'm taking it back. I'm taking the yeah. word back and, and and empowering the word. Mm. Like, yeah. how dare the president – again, I spend my life in science fiction, and I can't believe that the word pussy came out of the mouth of the president of the <laughs> United States. Yeah. There are some things that you just
1: don't do. Yeah. Um, so, what about you now? We we talk a lot about speaking truth to power and and how uh, speaking our own truth is uh, is part of this element and and recognize or witnessing, objective truth and 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 relaying that. So, tell us a little bit more about what truth to power means to you and what speaking truth to power means to you.
2: Speaking truth to power is having the inner strength to get up and say what you think is right. Yeah. And when you do that, sometimes you have to pay a price. But I still think that you have to be willing, you have to be willing to do it. And those who go first have to say, have to pay the biggest price. But you need to make the world better for those who come after you. And I've been saying the truth as I see it basically for as long as I could put words together.
0: Mm. So and it's I, wh- not why it's I not an a-
2: easy it's not an easy thing to do. But lying is it's hard to lie because you have to remember what you said.
1: Huh. True, true. That's very very good insight. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So I take a moment to listen to another story. Uh, if you have another excerpt or something you'd like to read.
2: Okay, I'll I'll find another close th- up? Yeah.
1: We like to take a moment just to introduce and another short excerpt from something you've written. In?
2: Okay, um, well, maybe since I talked about it, I'll read you from from the story about the King and I and and Professor Lear. Um,
1: great, great, thank you. And yeah, tell us a little bit more. Set it up, and then uh, a little bit of the process of writing it, and uh, any any influences that came into it. Okay, it's.
2: It's called The Donald and I, or The Free Hillary Resistance Movement Strikes Back. And it stems from my love of The King and I. Mm-hmm. And when you, I I, re, I rewrote The King and I in terms of what I wanted to say about Trump. Yeah. The story is a little long. How much of it, how, how much should I I'll read? I'll read about
1: four minutes. Uh, four or okay. Okay.
2: Okay, so Uh, I'll read and I'll go as far as I can. And um, when it's time to stop, just tell me, okay? All right, thank
1: you.
2: Okay. Professor Sandra Lear, a a feminist science fiction scholar par excellence, was grading papers in her State University of New York at Greenwich Village office when the phone rang. Professor Lear, this is the Gold House calling. The Gold House? Why should the Gold House phone me? Donald wishes to hire you to tutor the multitudinous young children he fathered during his seven years in office. Will you accept this offer? Your salary will be huge. Absolutely not. I am a feminist who recoiled when Donald instituted polygamy in the Gold House because Melania got older. How could I approve of his marriages to 25, 25 year old Eastern European beauty queens? He dehumanized these women when he renamed them. The media obsessively focuses on the doings of Elenia, Bellania, Selenia, Delania, etc. I don't care what color toenail Polish, Exelania wears. I am a feminist scholar who is an active member of the Free Hillary Resistance Movement. I couldn't believe that the Republicans really did lock Hillary up. I'm hopeful that the FHRM will eventually break Hillary out of Rikers Island. Your decision disappoints me. There was a pause. The sound of turning pages and as if a script were being read, the caller started up again. Think about the children, Professor Lear. Little Count, Marquis, Chevalier, Amanka, Ikanka, Harry Winston, Cartier, and all their siblings need you. Think about the twins, Dauphin and Dauphine. Most of the Donald's offspring are entering preschool. They will be called upon to continue the Trump dynasty. Smart women still exist. The kids will have to cope with them. What if extraterrestrials from a feminist separatist planet land on the Gold House lawn? You are the perfect tutor to help Trump's children deal with feisty female earthlings and potential feminist extraterrestrials. Sandra's revolutionary nature kicked in. She reasoned that she could further FHRM goals by residing in the Gold House. The Donald caused all usual executive branch rules, including presidential succession dictums, to be thrown by the wayside. Presidential protocol becomes irrelevant when the president does not act at presidential. Even the word president is obsolete. Russia had the Tsar, Germany had the Kaiser, Iran had the Shah, America has the Donald. The chief executive is now addressed as Mr. the Donald. At the State of the Union address, the sergeant-at-arms announces, Mr. Speaker, the Donald of the United States. You said the offer was huge, said Sandra. How huge? She listened. Yes, she said, that's huge. And because Sandra was fed up with the Donald, and she liked huge offers, she said yes to the Gold House. Trump fourth one carried Sandra to Washington. Upon arrival, she was whisked into a helicopter. While hovering over the Gold House Rose Garden, she saw the gigantic red, white, and blue blinking neon Trump sign positioned above the South Portico. The gold-painted mansion was too gaudy for Sandra's taste, but nothing prepared her for the change in the interior. The Red Room, the Blue Room, and the vermeil Room, formerly often called the Gold Room, had been transformed into the Gold Rooms. Sandra worried if James Bond nemesis Goldfinger had served as the interior decorator. Diamond encrusted doors and marble floors were general all over the Gold House. Cherub sodden bases supported the gilded furniture. Just as Sandra was reaching for her sunglasses to shield her eyes from the light bouncing off the glitz, head wife Melania appeared and extended her hand.
1: Okay. Thank you. There, we'll leave it off as a cliffhanger, and people should yes. have to. to um uh, get the book or find out find out copies of the book to uh where is it available?
2: It's available on Amazon and in bookstores, the bookstore's I think great, the great. easiest way to get when Trump changed the feminist science fiction justice League quashes the orange outrage pussy grabber <laughs> is to go directly to amazon
1: great, great, thank you thank you so what what uh what science fiction um movies or books are you reading now and and what what is something you're, you' you want highlight? Anything upcoming, or anything that you're you're excited about, or anything that you're uh, you know, fan fanning about?
2: I think I'm looking at something old. I'm looking at Joanna Russ's The Female Man, which is the most kick-ass feminist science fiction book that was ever written. I think, and I'm I'm contemplating going back and writing an essay about The Female Man because I love
1: it so much. Uh huh. Is there anything coming up what do you think about the state of science fiction today, or what do you think about what's coming out now or any opinions on Star Wars for example, or the new ch- sequels or any opinions about uh, what you think about what they're doing with it with Ray and well, all that
2: i love I love Star Wars because it became a cultural icon mm-hmm. and of of course I saw Star Trek in in the original and yeah. I remember being a little kid sitting in front of the television watching watching Star Trek and Star Trek is the I think the most one of the most important narratives of the second half of the 20th century oh. and it it came into the language like people still say beam me up and Star Trek is a vision of cooperation among different people and I think that we could take Gene Roddenberry's original vision of Star Trek and the and the cooperation and use it now. We really yeah. we really we we really need that now.
1: Yeah. So um you're are you disappointed in the on the uh current uh trends in uh science fiction or would you say you're disappointed or would you say it's it's okay or how are things well, going with that? I,
2: I've I've said that the most exciting part of science fiction now is black science fiction. And I did the first anthology about black women women in science fiction. And I think that this is important because black people are saying that they have a place in the future. Yeah. And, and not only do I think that black science fiction is is the most exciting science fiction, but I think that black science fiction is the most exciting literature, period.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you see Black Panther, or is that something that, that was kind of a cultural phenomenon that, you know, was one of the major, of the major cultural phenomena that really took over in Wonder Woman, of course, the two examples of kind of mainstream movies that uh, were able to capture a little bit of the vision of what you're saying. Uh, did you feel satisfied with that, or did you yeah. feel like well, more of that? Yeah, well, there's
2: a new movie, there's a new movie about Sojourn to Truth,
1: uh-huh. and
2: and they make Sojourn to Truth like a superhero. And this is wonderful that's, that someone like, like Sojourn to Truth can be seen as a superhero in a movie.
1: Excellent, excellent. Thank you, thank you. Um, so now, oh, we're, we're the, towards the end, as I start doing announcements and such, towards the end, we're going to play uh, a sample from uh, the musical Mame, I believe. Is that right? Oh, oh,
2: it's called Mame.
1: Mame, oh, Mame. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm not familiar with this. So. Tell us a little bit about that and how, uh, why you selected that song.
2: The name um, is is about a a feisty woman during during the Depression, and, and she was played by Rosalind Russell in, in the movie, which is before my time. But I but I saw the movie, and I saw the original cast of Mame in the sixties when I was a child, and Angela Lansbury played Mame. and I love. I guess I love Broadway musicals, <sighs> and I I love the music from that, and. There's a song in named The Man in the Moon and the lyrics are the man the I'm not going to try to sing cuz I'm
0: but the lyrics to it, yeah. are,
2: the man in the moon is a lady a lady in w- in lipstick and curls the man who jumped over cried jumping Jehovah I think she's just one of the girls Yeah and I love the, I love the idea that the man in the moon is not a man in the moon the man in the moon uh, um the man in the moon is a lady, and and they rhymed, um, um, don't ever offend her, remember her gender. The man in the moon is a miss. That's the end of the song. Yeah. And I love how they lined gender with offender. Ah. But when I say it in my New York accent, gender comes out with an A-H somehow. But (laughs) I love the rhyme, don't ever offend her, don't ever offend her, remember her gender. The man in the moon is a miss. Yeah. I love that.
1: Excellent, excellent. Thank you, thank you. So Radio for Brooklyn is a 50C 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to your community, quote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations to listeners like you. So every dollar helps us continue to stay on air. Please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to folks into law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioFortBooklyn.org/slash donate or go to RadioFreeBookland.org/slash shoot to power. That's where you can find out our whole uh, catalog of about 102 episodes, previous episodes. Um, and also uh, you can sponsor this particular show. You're listening to the truth to power show on radio for Brooklyn. Um, if you like to listen to radio for Brooklyn, when you're not in front of your computer, in case you are listening in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available at the app store for iPhone or the Google play store for Android. Um, if you'd like to um, subscribe to our monthly newsletter, the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFP events, you can sign up at Radio newsletter slash newsletter. Radio for Brooklyn's Drive to Five fundraising campaign is underway. In May, Radio for Brooklyn turns five years old, and we need to raise $25,000, so we can continue bringing you commercial-free independent radio for another five years. Because we think raising money should be fun, each month we'll be, list, we'll be bringing listeners fun challenges with some great prizes. The first is a trivia quiz to find out how well you know RFB. The top tri- five scorers will win a limited edition 5th anniversary RFB t-shirt. You can also dial 718-673-8201. Leave a message letting us know why you love RFB or to wish us happy birthday. Your message may be played on air. So thank you. Um, so as we start to close up, um, any closing thoughts or any, any place you want to direct the listeners to to find out more about you?
2: Um, I don't want to say something about me. I want to say something in general. Yeah. I work in trying to see the future, and I hope that we have a better future, and I hope that the future is that we no longer have a President Trump. Huh. That's, my, that's what I want to say.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So we'll be listening to a little bit from uh, Meme, uh, The Man on the Moon, as well as uh, a song from uh, uh, a, friend, uh, a friend of mine and a uh, previous guest, Tony 3, uh, Killing Me. Uh, so we'll listen to both of them. Uh, so let's see. Um about 50 now, so I think we have enough time. But we, uh, Yeah, okay. All right, thank you.
2: Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you.
1: Thanks so much.
3: I have a little secret I'd like to impart that I hope doesn't give you too much of a start. Though it's shocking, it's completely true. I know it isn't gossip or rumor, of course, for I've had it from quite a reliable source. And I'd like to pass it on to you the man in the moon is a lady, a lady with lipstick and a curse the cow. That jumped over Cried Jumping Jehovah I think it's just One of the girls She winks stars from her bed of green cheese that isn't a nightgown it's a Saturn chemise oh her friends are the stars and the planets she sends the big dipper a kiss so don't ever offend her remember her gender the man in the mood.
1: Now I'll be listening to 23 Killing Me.
4: Up my heart just to tear it apart, cleans it on with fire. I'll just lay down my soul, you seem to fill a hole with someone left bleeding I'll give you my all even if I fall, because I crave you The Poison I'm sippin'. And true, so is the hate within you. As you crucify me with a smile. I find I beg for the pain, and now that's all that remains. Because the bond you have defiled, like the Phoenix's ash in the aftermath of everything that destroyed me. I play the fool again, put so myself back in, close my eyes so I cannot see. Poison I'm sipping venom I'm dripping
1: Okay, so this has been episode 104 of the Truth to Power show in Ready for Brooklyn. Um, you can find out more about the show at Ready org slash Truth to Power uh, and uh, find out more about me at vjrnathan.com. You can find out about uh, my two poetry collections, Escape from Samsara and Celebrity uh, Sadhana or How to Meditate with a Hammer. Um, so these are two poetry collections that are available anywhere you can find, uh, books online or, um, uh, you can also go to Vijar Nathan to follow the com to follow the links to, uh, it's published by Book Baby. So you can find out more about them. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so every Monday at 8 a.m., we, we air and, um, Let me try to play something else. I'll go out with um, REM's uh, Man on the Moon.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah Mr. Fred Lassie in a breakfast mess Yeah, 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 yeah Let's play Twister swan yeah. yeah.